Well, good morning and welcome again to Encounter Church. Uh, Such a joy to be with you this morning, Uh, whether you are here in the room at Kentwood, uh, you're hanging out with us at our Fulton Heights location, or you're joining us online. Uh, Maybe you're tuning in from your living room or you're traveling for the holiday season and in your car. Uh, Wherever you are gathered, we are thankful to spend some time together this morning. Uh, And this morning, we continue our message series on the book of Judges, which we've titled Broken Saviors. Now, I ain't going to lie. When they said that we were going through Judges for Christmas, I was real confused. There's no baby Jesus in this thing at all. Uh, The book of Judges is all about death, war, bad leadership. I think Dirk said it last week. Judges is a downward cycle of chaos. There's no Christmas trees. There's no Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Nothing. It's a downward cycle of chaos. But the book of Judges, it leaves us hoping for and waiting for one day a better judge, a better savior will step in to save us from this disaster, to save us from this mess. Now, speaking of mess, uh, let's talk about the Ohio State football team for just a minute, yeah? Um, I I know that some of you will never cross the line and become a Michigan fan like me because you are a diehard Spartan fan. And look, I get it. I respect you for your decision. Uh, Jacob, I see you right there. Uh, But I hope that collectively together, we can all agree to cheer against Ohio State. Can we do that? Yeah, this state cheers against that state. Fantastic. We're off to a great start. (laughs) Uh, And if you're like my wife and you don't like sports at all whatsoever, I see a few hands, just get on board and we can all enjoy the yummy snacks on game day, all right? Um, Right? Yummy snacks. Let's go. Uh, Okay, so the reason why I bring that up is because I think it sets the stage for our conversation today. A few weeks ago, Michigan, if you know, beat Ohio State in football for the third straight time in a row. Some people are counting. Uh, And the reason why I bring that up is because at the end of the game, uh, one of the announcers was asked a really good question, and he gave a really good answer. Uh, the announcer was asked, when did Michigan win this game? Now, you might think that the announcer would talk about the game, would talk about how they played great on offense and defense and all that good stuff, but he didn't say any of those things. When asked when they won the game, he said they won the game during the week. He said that victory was, was realized on Saturday, but they won the game in the days leading up to the game. They won with uh, great practice. They won with diligent film study and the leaders holding each other accountable. So their victory was realized on Saturday, but they won the game during the week. And that sets the stage for our conversation because we all know that success doesn't just happen overnight, does it? No, uh, victory is earned before game day. Victory is earned before game day. Uh, For you, maybe game day are the exams that you have next week. I know some of you had told me even this morning that you're going to spend all night studying. But listen, so if, if, if you haven't done this, uh, don't do it and learn it from me. Uh, you can't go to, into an exam and basically having not studied and just pray, God, take control of my hand and please circle all of the right answers. Listen, I tried that strategy. It does not work. Don't do it. Right, And if you're going to have success on the exam, what do you have to do? You have to go to class. You have to pay attention. You have to do the reading. You have to do the assignments. You got to work out the problems ahead of time. Then you can step into the exam and have success. Uh, 
How many of us know that a healthy marriage doesn't just happen by accident? No, it takes spending intentional time with one another. Uh, It takes communicating to your spouse the times that you've been hurt and extending forgiveness. It takes continually showing up as their biggest cheerleader. A healthy marriage just doesn't happen by accident. Uh, Or if you're a builder, Right? Never, not once, have you showed up to a new property and just, bam, there's a brand new house. Like, just appeared out of nowhere. No, that hasn't happened. It takes months, maybe years, of meticulous planning with contractors and constant oversight of the project to make sure it runs smoothly. For your family budget, a healthy budget doesn't just drop itself in Excel. <laughs> I really wish that it would. But a healthy budget, that takes research. Uh, That takes negotiations at times. And that takes having hard conversations with maybe your spouse as to why it is not appropriate to go to Starbucks 12 times in one week. (laughs) I'm not saying that's my conversation. Maybe that's your conversation. Uh, But success doesn't happen overnight. No, victory is earned on game day. Or victory is earned before game day. So here's where we're going. As we turn to our story from the Bible today, we're going to see perhaps one of the greatest victories in all of the Old Testament. We're going to look at the story of Gideon. Now, if you've been at church for a while, grew up in church, uh, you know this story. And we're going to look at the battle here in just a few minutes. But I want to do, specifically for our time together today, is I want to look at the events leading up to the battle. Because here's what I want to propose today. That for Gideon... Victory was earned even before the battle started. We're going to pick up the story in Judges chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me, chapter 6. We'll have the words up on the screen as well. And here's what we find. We find that Israel is being oppressed by the Midianites. And the Midianites have completely destroyed Israel's livelihood. They've destroyed their crops. They've killed their cattle. They have forced them to leave uh, their homes and settle in the mountains and caves. And the Israelites are crying out to God, wondering if this is it for them. And then God visits a man named Gideon. We pick up the story, chapter 6, starting in verse 12. It says this. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said... The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. You see, as a good Jewish boy, Gideon would have been taught the Torah, uh, which are the first five books of the Old Testament. That would have been his Bible. And so growing up, Gideon would have been taught the stories of the Exodus. He would have learned Noah's Ark and all of that good stuff. And so here he is wondering where God is at in all of this. Uh, It continues, verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. You see, Gideon looks at the task at hand 
And he looks at all of the ways that he fails to measure up. And he says, God, pick someone else. Surely there's someone else better for this assignment. Look, my clan is the weakest and I am the least in my family. God, please pick someone else. But when the Lord comes to you for an assignment, he's not confused about what he wants to do. The conversation continues. The Lord said, verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So Gideon and God will go on to have a lengthier conversation and what God does is provide a sign to Gideon, assuring him that it's the God of Israel who is with him and it's him who is asking Gideon to go and do these things. And essentially by the end of the conversation, Gideon's like, okay, now that I know it's you, let's do this thing. I'll go, I'll do it. Where do I get started? God says, I want you to build an altar and I want you to do some other stuff too. Let's check out what it is. Verse 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. 25, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top, on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. And finally, verse 27 So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. So here we are. Gideon has done what the Lord has asked him to do. He's he's torn down the altar for Baal. He's cut down the Asherah pole. And he calls Israel to arms to fight for their freedom. And maybe for Gideon's surprise, a lot of Israelites show up. And he's looking at his army. He's like, okay, maybe we have a shot of winning this thing. Uh, But then God steps in and he says, hey man, you've got too many people. If I let you go into battle with this many people, you're gonna think that you won because of your strength and numbers and not because of me. So let's dwindle this thing down. God says, let's dwindle it down to, uh, let's go with 300. Now, if I'm Gideon at this point in the story, I am freaking out. Why? Because as he looks at who he's getting ready to go to war with, uh, the Midianites and the other tribes, there are over a hundred thousand men who are well-resourced for battle. So here you have a hundred thousand men well-resourced compared to Gideon's three hundred men. The odds do not look like they are in our favor. And to make matters worse, God says that, hey, uh, Gideon, when you roll up to this battle, here's what I want you to have. I want you to have some trumpets. I want you to have some empty jars. And I want you to have some torches. Like, I I agree. You might be able to do some damage with a torch. But what in the world are you going to do with a trumpet and some empty jars? What are you going to make a terrible noise? And then Midian's going to be like, this is terrible. We're moving out. Like, this is the worst military strategy I've ever seen. But side note, when God calls you to do something, and it looks like the odds are not in your favor, or it looks like you don't have all of the things you need. Sometimes we think that God's withholding something from me, or God's not in this. When God's not saying that, God is saying, no, I'm setting you up so that you know when you have victory, it was because of me, not you. See, that's what's happening. That's what God is trying to communicate to him. And the story 
continues. So with only 300 men, Gideon and his army, they find victory. But remember what we said, is that victory is earned before game day. Victory is earned for Gideon, I want to propose, before the fighting even started. What did the Lord tell Gideon to do before the battle started? Let's check it out again. Verse 25. He says, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. All right, let's dive into a little bit of history. Uh, Who is Baal? Who is Asherah? And why has God asked Gideon to take them down? Uh, So when you look at it, uh, Baal and Asherah are one of the many, many gods that the Canaanites, Midianites, uh, they're polytheistic, meaning they worshiped many, many gods. And we learn about these gods in the Bible because Israel had to deal with them. uh, But we also learn about these gods from other historical texts outside of the Bible. And so when we put all of those together, here's what we find. We find that Baal was the god, was believed to be the god of the weather, right? As you can imagine, uh, ancient people, they relied heavily on farming, uh, and so weather played a huge role in that. And so if they needed more rain for their crops, they would go to Baal and ask for rain. And then on the other hand, you have Asherah, who is considered to be the goddess of fertility, and oftentimes she's depicted as a wooden pole, and sometimes they would have carvings in that pole. So, so they are polytheistic, meaning they worship many, many gods, and Baal and Asherah are two of the more prominent gods that they worship. But when we look at Israel... God's chosen people, they are not supposed to be polytheistic. No, they are supposed to be monotheistic, meaning they worship one God, the Lord Yahweh, right? Uh, in fact, the Israelites, um, they, when they were brought up as kids, they would learn this prayer, uh, and they would say it each and every single day. It's called the Shema. Here's what it says. We find it in Deuteronomy. Uh, you may have heard it. It says this, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The Israelites would have repeated this each and every single day. Why? Because God wanted them to know that he's not just a God in a long list of gods. He is the God. He doesn't compete with these other gods. Here's something that's important for us to take note of. That God refuses to be in any position other than first. He refuses to be in any position other than first. That's why we learned, uh, Dirk talked about this, uh, I think maybe in part one and part two, but when God brought Israel out of bondage and slavery from Egypt and brought them into the promised land, what did he tell them to do? He told them to drive out all the Canaanites and Midianites, Amalekites, all those people, drive all of them out so that their idol worship doesn't make its way into your hearts. Now, here's what he says, again, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verse 5. This is what you are to do to them. Again, to the people living in the promised land, those who serve many gods. God says, break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, Cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols in the fire. Like we said, God refuses to be in any position other than first. He has no interest in being second. The instructions are clear. 
But what does Israel do? You know what they do. This thing is a downward cycle of chaos from the beginning. Gideon's father, he taught Gideon about the Exodus story. He talked about all of the miraculous things that God did to protect them and their ancestors. He taught him about the parting of the Red Sea. He taught Gideon about how God provided manna and water in the wilderness as they were traveling to the promised land. And probably before bed each and every single night, they repeated the Shema together. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. But when Gideon woke up in the morning... And he walked out of his bedroom into the family room. What did he see? He saw an altar built for Baal and a wooden pole designated for Asherah. Here's what we see. Israel hadn't abandoned their worship of God for idols. They combined their worship of God for idols. It's not that they said, God, we're forgetting about you. They just said, God, we're going to worship you and we're going to worship these other gods as well. Simply put, their hearts were divided. Their hearts were divided. And here's why God says to stay away from idols. It's because idols misdirect our worship. Idols misdirect our worship. Listen, what's true for me is true for you, is true for each and every single person who has ever walked planet Earth, is that we all worship something or someone. We all worship. And the true meaning and definition of worship goes far beyond what we do on a particular day of the week. It goes far beyond what we might say before bedtime. The true meaning and definition of worship is what we value most is what we assign our heart's ultimate value. What we worship is the thing that gives us our meaning and belonging and purpose and identity. And throughout all of history, every single person has searched for those things, right? We're all searching for those things. We all worship something. And the God of Israel has stepped in and said, listen, I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. I'm the one who breathed the breath of life into your lungs. I'm the one who loves you to death and back to life again. God says, will you worship me? Will you find your meaning and your purpose and belonging in me? Friends, I'm convinced this morning that God alone deserves our worship. He and he alone deserves our worship. And the problem is that idols misdirect it. And they give credit in places that credit is not due. God alone deserves our worship. And so Gideon's father and all of Israel, their worship is divided. Their heart is divided. And what happens as a result? They're given over to the hands of the Midianites who destroy their crops kill their cattle, force them to leave their homes, and they have no other choice but to cry out to God, God, what are you going to do? Remember what we said. Victory is earned before game day. Catch this. Before Israel can throw off the idols around them, they must throw away the idols among them. You catch that? 
Before Israel can throw off the enemies around them, they must throw away the enemies among them. Their heart was divided. And, and, and God is saying, if you want to deal with the Midianites, you first got to deal with what's going on in here. And so God comes to Gideon. And Gideon is experiencing this oppression by the Midianites. And Gideon's like, God, do you see the Midianites? They're all over the place. They're killing our crops. They're killing our cattle. We're forced to live in the mountains and caves. And I don't know if you know this, God, but you can't really plant in the mountains and caves. Uh, God, we need a breakthrough. God, what are you going to do? We need your help. And God essentially says, Gideon, I see the Midianites. I see what they're doing to you. But hear me. They're not your biggest problem. We can take care of them easy. It's going to take a few hundred men and some trumpets. They're not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is in your home. Your biggest problem is in your heart. God said, you see that altar built for Baal? Tear it down. You see that wooden pole designated for Asherah? Cut it down. Let us learn what Gideon experienced in this moment. That breakthrough begins with an undivided heart. Everybody say breakthrough. Breakthrough Breakthrough begins with an undivided heart. What did Gideon do? Gideon took out the trash. Listen, friends, whatever divide our hearts, whatever misdirects our worship, whatever robs God of the value and the honor that he is due, it's trash. And God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, you want breakthrough? Take out the trash. You see that altar of Baal? Take it down. You see that Asherah pole? Cut it down. And when you do that, when your heart is undefined or undivided, then you will see the power that I'm going to display through you. Gideon, take out the trash. So, my friends, this morning, where do you need to experience victory? Where do you need to experience breakthrough? And can I just tell us this morning that it's not about out there, it's about what's happening in here. Is there anything in our lives that's dividing our heart? Is there anything in our lives that's robbing us of the worship that should be going to God? Is it in your money, in your wealth? Do you wake up in the morning and you're constantly thinking about, oh, I've got to make more money, I've got to make more money, that I can buy all the things I want to buy, go on the vacations I want to go on, have the experiences that I want to have, and if I could just make more money, then I'll finally be living the good life. Or maybe it's not money for you, maybe it's, it's power and influence. Are you someone who says, man, if I can just get that position, if I can just have that title, if I can get that corner office, then everybody will know that I'm somebody. And that drives you each and every single day. And everything else is sacrificed, even your family, because you think it's that position that's going to give you meaning and fulfillment in your life. Or is it your image? Are you questioning and wondering each and every single day, what are people saying about me? What do they think about me? What do I look like today? How many, how many likes do I have on Instagram? Okay, not enough. Well, I have to look better tomorrow. And that's constantly in your head over and over and over. And, and listen, the list of modern day idols, it could go on and on and on, can't it? It can. And here's the thing, we all have something. 
We all have something. And, and, and these modern day idols, they're shiny, they're appealing. But listen, modern day idols, they will always overpromise and underdeliver every single time. Only the one who created you, only the one who breathed the breath of life into your lungs can satisfy and fulfill all the longings and desires of your heart. Everything else is trash. Let's throw out the trash. I want to share with you a story uh, from right here within our Encounter Church family, a story of what God does when we throw away idols, literally, and take out the trash. It's so cool. Uh, it comes to us from Prasha Maharjan. Uh, many of you know that uh, this year we sent the Maharjan family uh, to their home in Nepal to launch Encounter Nepal. And uh, recently she sent a note back to us. And, uh, and I want to read a little bit of that note for you. Uh, and look what happens. Uh, she's recalling a letter. Um, she's recalling a visit that she made in 2014. Let's listen to what she says. She says, in 2000, or I'm sorry, 2004, I went back to Nepal after a family tragedy. I'd been a Christian for less than two years. I was young in faith, but my desire to share what God had done in my life could not be suppressed. My sister had just passed away, but I was able to share about Jesus the night before she had passed. There was evidence of my sister accepting Jesus in her heart in her journal writings. Praise the Lord. In the short time in Nepal in 2004, I became an idol shatterer, literally. My mother worshipped her idols and went to temples and spiritual gurus everywhere. There was a spiritual darkness in her life that none of her idols could free her from. That spiritual bondage only led her to more and more stress and sickness in her life. I remember sharing about Jesus' healing story and praying for my mother. I could feel the power of those idols in my parents' home that kept them in their spiritual bondage. One morning, while it was still dark outside, I felt the nudge to go to her worship room full of her idols. Listen to this next part. I packed them all in the trash and I threw them out and shattered them and shattered what I could. Nobody in the house, not even my father, spoke a word of disagreement. Look what happens as a result. Idols are in the trash. Look what happens. We are here to witness God's powerful healing in my mother's life. My mother has since given her life and service to God and shares God's healing story with every person she comes in contact with, period. Come on, can we praise God for this testimony of healing? Amen. Victory happens before game day. Breakthrough begins with an undivided heart. Friends, let's throw away our idols and let's give the praise back to God who is rightfully deserving of it. Amen? Amen. Now, I'd love to tell you that this is where the story ends. 
that for Gideon and his family, they live happily ever after, that all is good and well, and we just go home. But that's not how the story ends. The book of Judges, it's a downward cycle of chaos. Here's what happens. Gideon and his 300 men, they win the battle. They have peace. And this is what the Israelites say to Gideon, their leader. It's in chapter 8, verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Sounds good, doesn't it? Like if he's in an interview, he's hired. That's the right answer. (laughs) The problem is that what he says and what he does is two different things. Let's keep looking. Verse 24, and he said, I do have one request, that each of you would give me an earring from your share of the plunder. See, when Israel defeated their enemies, they would take their gold and resources, and the people respond. Verse 25, they answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment, and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, or about 43 pounds. Jump to verse 27. It says, Gideon made the gold into an ephod which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So what's happening? Gideon takes the gold, and he makes it into an ephod. Um, And an ephod is something that the high priest would wear. Think of a vest. Uh, the high priest would wear it as he enters into the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is the place where they would meet with God. Uh, it's the place where they would go to ask God for direction and all that good stuff. And so when the high priest wore this ephod and he stepped in, that signaled the dwelling place of God. Now, it sounds a little bit strange. I get that, but it's what they had. But here's the problem. What Gideon said and what he does are two different things. Gideon said, the Lord is your God. But when he makes this ephod for himself and when he places it in his hometown, basically what he's saying is that if you want to go to God, you got to come to me first. You see, Gideon, he should have used his position to bring people to God, but instead he uses God to boost his position. And he assumes the honor of a king. And that honor didn't belong to him. It belonged to God. And what happens as a result of his actions? Again, it says this. Verse 27. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. It sounds harsh in the English. It's much harsher in the Hebrew. And this is why Gideon is a broken savior. This is why you and I, we're still looking. We're still waiting. This is what happened after Gideon had died. Look what happened. It says, no sooner had Gideon died that all Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Balbareth as their God and did not remember the Lord their God 
who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. You see, the book of Judges is a dark book. It's a downward cycle of chaos. And it leaves us all hoping, waiting, anticipating that one day we will receive a better judge, a better savior who won't just leave us in a mess, but will save us from a mess, will save us from our sins and undivide our hearts and restore us to the Father. We are left waiting and waiting. And this Advent season that we're in, it's not so much about our faithfulness to wait, hear me, it's about God's faithfulness to arrive. And arrive he did, Bethlehem. And that's the story that we're gonna talk about next weekend. But until then, my friends, let us identify our idols. Let's throw them in the trash. And let's give God the worship that only he deserves. Amen? Come on, let's stand as we get ready to close. Let's pray together, Jesus. We give you honor and glory that only you deserve. Jesus, I pray that today and into this week as we get ready to receive and circle our hearts and lives around the good news of your coming into the world, I pray that as we anticipate and as we wait to celebrate, God, you would help us to do some hard work in our lives, that you would help us to see where our hearts are divided God, would you help us to see where we are giving our worship to places that don't deserve it? God, would you give us spiritual eyes to see the modern day idols in our lives? And God, we, we know that they're shiny and they're flashy and they look good, but they always overpromise and underdeliver. And God, we know today as a community of faith that only you can satisfy the longing and the desires of our hearts. So Jesus, everyone under the sound of my voice right now, I pray you would give us the strength and the courage to see the idols in our lives and to throw them into the trash and to take the trash out and to never let it come back in so that our hearts may be set on you, so that our lives may be set on you because Jesus, you and you alone are worth it. And God, we know that this can't happen as a result of our effort. God, this takes a supernatural occurrence in our lives, but God, we are thankful that you do the supernatural. So Jesus, come have your way. Come and have your way in each and every single part of our lives, in each and every single area of our lives. Rid what is not of you until all you see is the perfectness of Jesus shining in us and through us. God, we praise you, and it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.